Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to Policy Forum Pod, the podcast for all those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. I'm Julia Ahrens. Policy Forum Pod is a production of PolicyForum.net based at the Asia-Pacific's leading graduate policy school, Crawford School of Public Policy. If you've been thinking about taking up a policy-facing role, then we have the program for you. Check out our Master of Public Policy and many more options at crawford.anu.edu.au forward slash study. Now, with the impacts of climate change becoming increasingly obvious in Australia and around the world, societies are more than ever in need of systemic transformations. One of the biggest transitions that Australia needs to undergo is undoubtedly the shift to lower emissions. As part of its new technology roadmap, the Australian government has announced that it will take a technology-based approach to emissions reduction, shifting investment away from wind and solar to hydrogen, carbon capture and storage, lithium and advanced livestock feed supplements. In a speech delivered recently, Energy Minister Angus Taylor said that a long-term strategy, a strategy that covers 30 years, must be bottom-up. The top-down approach is historically how the world has attempted to reduce emissions, but that has failed. International targets are missed. An example from the Netherlands might give us some pointers on how to best go about such a grand transformation through a bottom-up approach. In 2010, the Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte introduced the top sector approach as part of their new enterprise policy. A top sector is formed by companies and research centres that work together with government to strengthen the competitiveness of the Dutch economy whilst also trying to tackle challenges societies are facing. So today we want to ask, what could Australia learn from the Dutch approach to transformative policy? And how can transformative policy help us achieve more resilient economies and tackle societal issues at the same time? And we've invited an expert in the field of transformative policy who has come all the way from the Netherlands to discuss this topic with us. And that's Professor Matthijs Janssen. Matthijs is an assistant professor at the Copernicus Institute for Sustainable Development at the University of Utrecht, and he also holds a position as a senior researcher and consultant at Dialogic Innovation and Interaction. Welcome, Matthijs. Great to have you Thank here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Matthijs, with climate change, the world is facing one of its biggest policy challenges yet, and it will take huge transformations to effectively tackle it. When we talk about transformative policy, what do we actually mean by that? Well, transformative policy, uh, the way I study it, is a policy approach where we look at uh, innovation as a topic where we don't leave it just up to firms to decide what they want to be innovating on, what novelty they want to create, what new processes or products, 
but where we uh, use policy to identify commonalities between uh, what firms want together and where they see new opportunities and also uh, try to support that with policies. So it's not anymore a generic approach where firms can determine by themselves all the, the, the direction they want to move in, how they want to diversify, but it's a policy approach that uh, supports collaboration between them so that they find a, a certain path, a certain future, and it helps them then to actually make that reality. So there could be all sorts of things they would need, like new knowledge, uh, entrepreneurship, new infrastructures, different institutions, uh, less resistance of all kinds of sorts. And the policy would try to, uh, to, to create a system or an environment where they can pursue the directions they want to move in. So the role of government in that is basically to help shape that environment? Yeah, so I'm really framing it now as, a, as an innovation policy approach. And I should add, for some people, transformative innovation policy could be just helping the firms um, going in the direction they want to go. Other people say, well, it's really particularly um, not, not just transforming economy by uh, looking at what, they, what firms have in common, but uh, transforming socioeconomic systems. So that would also be our behavior that would be much broader than just um, an innovation focus. So then you get closer actually to sustainability issue because you would look at the challenge and see, okay, how can we deal with this challenge by looking at what new knowledge could do, what new technologies and, and products and services could do. But perhaps many of the solutions would be more of a behavioral kind or an institutional kind. So what first sparked your interest in this topic? Well, actually, I'm, I'm an innovation policy scholar, so I, I do study a lot of innovation policies. And um, they're not all the same. Of course, they're all different. They have their own rationale, their own, uh, their own incentives for firms or universities or any other relevant actor to behave differently. But this is uh, a quite new branch of innovation policy. So it's innovative in itself. Uh, and of course, that makes it more interesting to study. And the other thing would be, of course, if this is the policy that's getting in place, uh, in particular in the Netherlands, we have um, a quite well-known example of such a policy. Well, it, it's, it's interesting to study how it's working out and what, what the, the tensions and the problems might be, um, because well, it's always nice if you can do research on something which is happening now so that the impact of what you do could be bigger. Yeah, you mentioned that you briefly touched on the case of the Netherlands there and uh, innovative policy in the Netherlands. And the government has launched its own transformative policy in 2010, the Dutch top sector approach. Mm -hmm. um, and that involves both enterprises and knowledge organizations such as universities. Can you tell us a bit more about what this approach is and what it's trying to achieve? Let me start what it's trying to achieve. It's trying to... Uh, to create uh, stronger innovation systems, they would, would, would call it. So that would be the environments in which you would have better interactions between these firms uh, and, and universities and increasingly also other stakeholders from the public side like governments or any uh, society representative, societal organizations that actually uh, deal with a problem or a certain field in which there's many developments going on. So the issue is, well, if we can get them to sit together, uh, and, and uh, let, for instance, the firms uh, speak up and articulate where they want to be moving, what opportunities they see. Uh, universities can actually respond to that by aligning part of their research. Not all of it, of course, but they can um, ensure that they're working on the type of knowledge that these uh, firms would need to uh, to grow or to diversify or to innovate. So more um, practical applications. Could be more practical. Indeed, it could get uh, the knowledge could be used for more testing and demonstrating, but it could also be at a quite strategic level, the planning of the priorities of a university or any other research organization. 
Uh, and I'm saying universities because universities, of course, also train people. And that will be another thing that is very important for firms if they see they're going to be more IT-based or any other new technology that they might embrace to to uh, develop further. This might need, require new skills. And um, actually by knowing how the, the, the paths and the directions these firms want to move in, universities could also update the curricula and make sure we actually have the people that fit the future demands. Could you give us an example of the top sector that you yeah. would pop to? Sure, like, yeah, I, I, uh, I skipped that part, but there's nine top sectors. Yeah. They are about agri- agri-food, high-tech systems and materials, logistics, um, uh, life sciences and health, um, pretty much uh, across many uh, domains of science and technology or the economy or even of society, if you like. Um, so each top sector has a top team, and that's a high-level group where you have a science representative, a captain of industry, actually also a captain of the small and medium enterprises, and a policy official, uh, typically one that belongs to the domain the top sector is about. So maybe high-tech systems and materials will be more of an, of an economy and industrial as a sector belonging more to the sphere of economy and, and industry. But life science and health is very much about a public domain. So there, there would be somebody from the Department of, of, of Health. Uh, and together they set agendas um, that, that actually make clear um, where they want to go and also what is needed. And that's that's the important part, what is needed in, on the human capital uh, side, also on the export side. And also regulation uh, will be one of the elements where they see, well, if, if we're going into these directions, well, there might be barriers, um, regulatory or also in the public opinion, and they can interact and then determine a way of, of, of avoiding these barriers or solving them. So what makes that approach unique and different from other approaches before? Yeah, well, you have more coordination approaches, but they will be maybe over on a smaller level. We have industry associations, for instance, but the fact that it's quite triple helix-like, so it, it really unites these different stakeholders and they really get a big stage to to make these agendas and mobilize many actors to, to get on board, uh, makes it stand out because an industry association just focuses on the industry. And here uh, you have more interest, interest from science and from society. And also they're in a better position to, to mobilize other policies, uh, get more funding for their for what they want. And, and that's quite unique at, at this national strategic level that it's really the fundament of the national research and innovation strategy. Um, there's a few other examples, um, but uh, it's, it's a new generation in that sense of policies. Matthias, you mentioned a bit earlier that there's always a societal change aspect to these policies as well. How can governments guide the top sectors in a way that not only makes the economy more resilient, but also tackles these sorts of issues? Yeah, so this is actually the the latest stage of this policy. It has been evolving. It really started with just um, improving the coordination between science and industry. And then uh, increasingly people started to to actually project this societal perspective on the top sectors. And I think it was also reasonable to demand that because policy has helped these these platforms, uh, these top sectors to get in place, to be created, to build their networks, to align their interest. But um, yeah, from a policy additionality perspective, you would want to use these platforms for different things, or at least you're not going to support them um, to be created again because they're there already. So actually, we have now entered a stage where it's uh, the, the second generation of the top sector policy. It's called mission-oriented top sector policy. And there, the societal challenges are becoming dominant. And in the Dutch case, that would mean uh, that 25 
missions have been defined. They have been defined by ministries or the public departments. They have prioritized certain problems and have set goals, mostly specific goals with a specific timeline. And they're kind of challenging now, uh, let's say, the society to come with solutions for these uh, challenges. And one main direction they're looking at is the top sectors because top sectors could fulfill a, a certain role. Not all of it, obviously, if you have a problem that could better be solved just without technology, mm-hmm. that might sometimes be even better. Um, but the current line of thinking is that the top sectors might be in the right position within their own fields, of course, to look, okay, how, okay, how can science and industry help, but also maybe between them because sometimes you might need a collaboration between actors from one knowledge domain and another knowledge domain. And before it would have been more difficult for these actors to find each other and to interact. But by having all these coordination structures in place, well, the hope at least is, and and the idea behind the policy, is that you get more of these collaborations. This all sounds very promising, but very complex at the same time to coordinate all these sort of moving parts. And it will, of course, also cost quite a bit of money. So Mm. How can we ensure that when we put a policy like that in place, that it's actually doing what it's supposed to do and it's worth the investment that the government and also, of course, the time and uh, knowledge that organizations put into it is actually worth it? Yeah, so it's indeed all about coordination. And, well, it's not certain that it's very expensive because you're supporting uh, all kinds of events and activities and roadmap uh, drafting. Well, that's not very costly compared to big investment programs where you really fund uh, all the investments. In this case, it's just uh, societal actors and firms themselves and universities who bring in a lot of resources and you just make sure they align it. So I'm not sure if that would be where the main risks or the cost would be. Um, What probably could be a risk is if you actually provide a platform to all kinds of actors who will be rent-seeking and protect their current interest and will push forward solutions which might not be the best solutions. Um, I think there might be certain downsides there um, that you you don't open up in that sense to collaboration maybe with smaller companies or new emerging fields that can be very promising from an economic or societal uh, point of view, but don't have easy access to be part of all these coordination and collaboration initiatives. I think those costs, and these are also opportunity costs, they might exceed definitely the policy cost um, and also the coordination cost because you could make a kind of optimistic point um, saying, well, even if um, having this uh, new generation of of policies, if it doesn't really work uh, in terms of finding good solutions for the societal challenges, at least you did something to help new collaborations and new search activities to emerge beyond what firms and, 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 and researchers would do anyway. So you could say, well, that, that might actually spawn new unforeseen innovations. Uh, so there is a, a kind of a secondary effect which might still be in balance with, with the coordination costs uh, that were there in the first place. Let's take a quick break here and we'll be back in just a second with more on what Australia could learn from this new approach to transformative policy. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. H-E-L-P. 
Australia's bushfire season was devastating and unprecedented. More than 20% of the country's forests burned, destroying buildings, taking lives and decimating animal populations and biodiversity. But this season's fires haven't just changed the physical landscape, but also the political one. They've sparked a national conversation on fire management, the impact on vulnerable communities and how the country needs to tackle climate change. Join the team from Policy Forum Pod at a very special live event where we look at what comes next. With a panel of experts, we'll examine the long-term impacts of the bushfires on Australia's economy, health and biodiversity and look forward to what the country could and should be doing in the wake of the crisis. Australia Ablaze What Next takes place at the Australian National University on Tuesday the 24th of March. Register for this free event at policyforum.net forward slash events. Welcome back. I'm still here with Dr. Matthijs Janssen and we now want to dive a bit deeper into policy lessons for Australia. Having discussed how this is working out in the Netherlands, I'd now like to look at what Australia could actually learn from this example. Energy Minister Angus Taylor has just announced that the government would focus on hydrogen, carbon capture and storage, lithium and advanced livestock feed supplements. This is a part of the coalition's new technology roadmap, and he particularly emphasized the role of a bottom-up approach. From your experience, what benefits can come from bottom-up approaches in this area of policy? Well, the interesting thing is that top sector policy or transformative innovation policy, uh, you could you could regard it as top-down, bottom-up policy in a way that apparently somebody has already determined what platform there's going to be, uh, what sector or what top sector or what uh, selection of technologies in the technology roadmap. So that's the, the top-down part. And then indeed the question would be, are you going to tell industry and science what they should be studying and are you going to set specific uh, targets or let's say... Um, priorities. The question would be if you're going to determine what topics really all kind of uh, research programs should be focusing at, or do you just set the boundaries and and make a framework for firms and and, and researchers, of course, to identify what particular technologies, particular opportunities within these domains could be the most promising ways to, to, to go. So there are wide and narrow approaches to this. Yeah. And then the, the bottom-up part probably should be more than just the knowledge uh, element, but it would be being sensitive to um, to what um, the firms and researchers that are working on this and, and hopefully also the user side who will actually need to adapt all these technologies. And that might be other industries, but it might also be citizens, depending on uh, what technologies we are talking about. Um, but to listen what kind of barriers they they encounter, because often these will be regulatory or they might have to do with uh, certain infrastructures that will benefit all of them. So let's get a bit more specific. Let's pretend that Angus Taylor is listening to this podcast in the area of, for example, nitrogen, carbon capture and storage, lithium and advanced livestock feed supplements. With your experience on the top sector approach in mind, what would be some of the concrete lessons that Australia could draw from the Dutch policy? Well, I think that for all technologies it would hold that you would need um, support over all the the stages uh, through which they develop. So there might be a fundamental side to it, but of course you you move up towards the, the technology readiness levels, as they're called. You get closer to the market and you need to be sure you have a policy mix, so a set of policy instruments that fit with the different stages through which technologies uh, move. 
Um, and I'm not saying uh, necessarily you should really start from the fundamental side and move up, but you should have something in place for all of these stages. And then you need to actually, that would be the second part, you would really uh, in an early stage, need to look at uh, what applications will there be for these technologies? What is there already a demand or should we actually nurture the demand? So this is what we would have seen in Analyse. And what we did see is that um, supporting knowledge interactions and development is one thing. And maybe you could use accelerators and incubators also to have experimentation by new firms or bigger firms spanning off smaller firms uh, to, to get these knowledge to the market. But a very important element is to make sure there is a market in the first place, a, a first market or a lead market where uh, there are opportunities, safe opportunities to be testing these technologies and to identify uh, what works and, and, and what not in a real life setting. Also, what business models should you be using or could you be using? And one thing you could be thinking of is the government itself, not just boosting innovation and supporting it and encouraging experimentation, but also being this launching customer or this lead customer. This is a very prominent dimension now in the debate because governments are purchasing um, all sorts of assets. They might have big, big budgets. And typically, it's kind of hard to use this for innovation because they have all sorts of regulations that, that have, well, they make sense because they are uh, there to avoid certain risks. But at a certain point, you could actually be open with a part of your budget or in certain cases and say, well, as a government, we can be the first ones who use, I'm not sure if that will be carbon capture or any of these particular uh, technologies. Um, lithium, of course, always needs, well, it could have application and maybe in batteries for electric mobility. Well, and that's something there. There are uh, police, uh, firefighters, uh, military. There's all sorts of um, big purchasing programs, I guess, from the public side that uh, involve uh, products or technologies uh, in which lithium is an element, if it's if it's lithium iron uh, iron batteries, for instance, and you could be um, purchasing these so that the firms working on it can actually learn lessons and 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 scale up, also towards maybe more commercial markets or or even in other countries. Of course, like in this context, all of these technologies that the government wants to invest in is more about trying to manage the impact of climate change. Mm -hmm. And climate change is probably the biggest societal issue that we need to grapple with nowadays. How can this this sort of program, such as the Dutch top sector approach, help put this societal issue not just on government agendas but also on uh, Australian enterprise agendas? Yeah, well, the the traditional uh, or how the top sector policy started, I would see that mostly as a means to to support a lot of novelty and the, the search for new solution directions to, to deal with a problem like climate change. The particularly interesting point about uh, the direction it's going now is that you have this mission element where there is also a ministry really taking responsibility for finding and implementing these solutions. And this could create a kind of dialogue where um, the technology policy really focus on the variety of solutions and bringing them forward, whereas there is another policy actor more responsible for combining and selecting the most promising solution directions. So you would separate these two tasks. Uh, one is increasing the variety and actually the other one will be more reducing it in order to implement the most promising ones. Uh, and I should then mention again that sometimes the most promising solution directions are not technological or partially technological but I, I think there is a lot of uh, promising future in, in separating these roles, but it would require um, well, particular policy capabilities from the governments in charge of 
really uh, the challenge side and the demand side, they would need to be able to give clear perspectives to the market so that it would be on the agendas of enterprises anyway. So they should show what future there is for these new innovations, but they should also be able to um, to stop certain developments and, and, and decide to support the other ones because you cannot uh, copy infrastructures for many different types of technologies if they are conflicting infrastructures. You would need to select. Unfortunately, we'll have to draw this conversation to a close now. But before I let you go, Matthijs, could you boil it down to just one crucial lesson that Australia could learn from the Dutch top sector approach? I think it would be, um, given the status where they are already with their policies, it would be more introducing this demand side of making clear perspectives for what technology markets are out there and, and how the firms can actually benefit from together finding solutions that would fit these challenges. Thank you so much, Matthias, for joining us in the studio today. Yeah, a pleasure. Listeners, if you're keen to share your thoughts on this episode or suggest topics that we should cover on the pod in the future, then please get in touch with us. It's easy. We're on Twitter as APPS Policy Forum or shoot us an email podcast at policyforum.net. Or even better, join us in our Facebook podcast group. You can find us under Policy Forum Pod. One of the benefits besides meeting our presenters and other engaged listeners is that you'll get exclusive access to our Ask Policy Forum podcast series, where we put questions that you submitted to us to a range of experts. So get onto Facebook, search Policy Forum Pod and join us there. And if you want to advise government and help create more innovative policies that address the challenges facing Australia today and in the future, then Crawford School's Master of Public Policy might just be what you are looking for. This degree brings together interactive and case-based teaching to prepare you for policy-making rules in the public, private and not-for-profit sectors, and you will learn from some of the leading academics in their fields. Check it out at crawford.anu.edu forward slash study. And please don't forget to subscribe to Policy Forum Pod. You can find us on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you usually get your favorite shows from. And if you're there already, please also leave us a review. We love hearing about what you think, and we're always keen to improve. We'll be back soon with another Policy Forum Pod. But until then, for me, your Jarens. See you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.